Welcome to the Hiker Trash Podcast. This is a project of Local Exposure Magazine. My name is Ronnie Pettit, and I'm your host. The Hiker Trash Project began with my curiosity about why people through hike the Appalachian Trail, or any long trail. I wondered why they do it, what they gain from it, and how that experience might manifest itself in their life after the trail. I spent an entire year following, photographing, and interviewing through hikers on the Appalachian Trail from Georgia to Maine and all the way back to Georgia. I put all that, those interviews and photographs, into a 200-page coffee table book. And now we're going to continue the project as a podcast. So listen along as we track down some of the people we met along the way and interview new hikers and find out, did that experience change them? Or did it simply provide the context to reveal who they already are? You can find out more about Local Exposure Magazine on the internet at localexposuremagazine.com. We have some coffee table books you can buy. We have some fine art prints. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at local.exposure.magazine. The intro music for today's episode was provided by Scott Lowe. He's a Northeast Georgia-based singer-songwriter. You can find him on Instagram at Scott Lowe Songs or at Hatch Camp and Art Farm. This song is called Winter Springs. On this episode, we have Six Mill and Honeybee. Say hello, guys. Woohoo! Thanks for having us, Ronnie. Great to see you, Ronnie. Thanks for driving all the way to Franklin, North Carolina. Oh, absolutely. Without a doubt. Any chance to get back to the AT and to see you? Absolutely. So let's start with trail names. Honeybee, you go first. Sure, yeah. Um... I had uh, been given a couple options that I rejected, and uh, we were just chatting in um, the Smoky Mountains, and I love flowers, I love bugs, just fascinated, always want to identify things. So somebody saw me constantly stopping at every flower, especially early spring, to start taking photos. And uh, later noticed that I had a honeybee tattoo and they were like, honeybee, you're always stopping at the flowers. And uh, we're on your arm. Yeah, it's on my forearm. So I have other tattoos, but it was cold enough where they hadn't seen my legs yet. (laughs) All right. So skip ahead, because when I met you, I noticed the moth. Yes. On your leg. And this is way out of order. But I want to ask about that. What's that from? 
Um, I love bugs. <laughs> it's a polyphemus moth. Uh, there's really no significance other than I thought it was pretty cool. And um, when people ask me why I got it, I made up a reason because most people <laughs> want to know. They want to know. Um, and I'm like, it reminds me to find the light in things, you know, like a moth does. I just love moths. Do they think it has anything to do with Silence of the Lambs? Oh, I've never been asked that, but... Maybe now they do. <laughs> because that's what came to my mind. It's like, what is that connection? Yeah, that's a good one. But I think that's the death moth, right? I don't know. Mm, I guess we'll find out. We'll just Google it. Okay, six mil. Well, you know how these things happen. We were, um, I don't know, approaching Neil's Gap. And um, we were talking about our, uh, I don't know, we were just talking about our health and somebody had talked about their cardiac issues or whatnot. And I had mentioned that my cardiologist had said, yeah, keep hiking. I mean, hike, continue to keep hiking. And, uh, so it, I had uh, open heart surgery about a year before we, uh, Claire and I, or, or sorry, honeybee and I had, uh, had embarked on the trail and a girl by the, uh, we were hiking with, um, happy, happy feet decided to, to don me with a $6 million man, which, uh, I don't know for, uh, depends on how old you are, but my day, $6 million man was, uh, yeah, a Lee, TV show. Yeah. Lee, Lee majors. majors. He was a good looking guy. Exactly. Too. Mary Fair Fawcett for, yeah, yeah. They were an item for a while, but what they did, remember they rebuilt him and she said, they rebuilt you for the trail. You need to be the $6 million man. And, uh, and I, she talked me into, uh, to shortening it to six mil and it stuck and I was happy with it. Now I love when the people that don't know, ask if that's his net worth. I think that's yeah, hilarious. Yeah. You know, like go with it, but it's definitely not his net worth. People of our age or of my age, as soon as they hear the name say, Oh, uh, like what part of your body did you get rebuilt before the AT? But nobody else understands. We didn't even cover this yet, but you are father and daughter team. Yes, we are. <laughs> Pretty unique, I think. I hadn't met any other father-daughter teams out there. Yeah, I'm sure they're out there, but uh, we didn't meet any. I didn't meet any either. I met a father-son, but not a father-daughter. Interesting. Well, let's just go back into how it all started then. Well, you know, um, I'm a... I'm a Wisconsinite now, but I grew up in New Hampshire hiking the whites, uh, just uh, uh, sex, not even section hiking, basically day hiking. And um, but man, I've been a Wisconsinite for a long time. There's not a lot of mountains there. And uh, the last couple of years of my life, it's been drawing me back hiking. And uh, and I just gave it. I really started training and thinking about it, and uh, my wife gave me the blessing, and and I was gone. Uh, uh, as soon as I, I knew that I could get out and do it, I had to. And uh, so I started talking about it a little bit, and really it was me. I didn't, I, I didn't expect a partner, but I can't tell you how blessed I was. Were you hiking on the Appalachian Trail up there? I mean, were, were you uh, acquainted with the trail already? Acquainted with the trail where, where I would hike, uh, say, Franconia Ridge with uh, Claire's younger sister or in Vermont. Uh, most of my family's from Vermont. And uh, we'd hike, and I, I, you know, I, know what the, I knew what the White Blaze was, uh, but that wasn't my, really my goal for when I was younger. 
But then when I started getting back to hiking in the whites a little bit, we, we did it a few years earlier, um, just doing some, you know, hiking some peaks. Um, you'd see these badasses with these big packs that were, these guys are too tired to even, are, are too absorbed to even talk to me. When I, it, it was just fun. I was so enamored with these guys. So it kind of re-sparked this, it re-sparked something I had, you know, when I was growing up and years ago, just loving hiking. And uh, I kind of got obsessed with it a little bit. Yeah. So um, I kind of leached onto his adventure unintentionally, but um, I was a business owner. I've since sold my business, but I was at a point where I had just been working nonstop through the pandemic to grow my business. And, um, such a blessing to have grown it to the size that I did, but in a weird way, I lost myself and kind of created this monster that was beyond my control. And I just knew I needed an opportunity to turn my phone off. And so when my dad said, Hey, I'm, I'm through hiking the AT. I said, I, I, I'm going to go, I'm going to visit you. I don't care where, I don't care when you tell me, how do I get there? I was hoping to get her to join me for a couple weeks. Yeah. So I said 10 days. Okay. You know, when and where, how do we make this happen? Let me know how I can take time off. And he said, well, you should start it with me because logistically it'll be, it'll be the easiest. We'll be in similar shapes, similar paces. You'll know where I'm at and when, and we'll have a good exit strategy. And then he was kind of joking, but he said, I can't convince you to hike the whole thing with me if you don't start it with me. And for whatever reason, I just knew in that moment that I had to do it. And so I went home and I told my boyfriend, I said, hey, you know that 10 day thing you and I are going to do? Yeah, I'm going to do the whole thing. <laughs> so I spent two months getting my business to a point where it could operate without me. And on the plane ride down, I read Zach Davis's book. And that's how I prepared. What, what's that book? <laughs> uh, it's called Appalachian Trials or Appalachian Trials. Um, I'll probably go between the two in this podcast. Just a warning. So normally, would you say Appalachian or Appalachian? So I said Appalachian Trail. Uh, you know, we're from Wisconsin, different dialects. When I refer to the region, I'll say Appalachia. Um, I typically think of like Southern Appalachia, though. When I think of like New York, Massachusetts, Vermont, I, I don't know. I start to think Appalachia. Um, but yeah, it. I just go between the two. I think enough people online have tried to correct me to Appalachia that I'm just like, Whatever it is, I whatever comes out my mouth, that's what it is. <laughs> it kind of stresses me out. I always feel like I'm saying it wrong. Me too, me too. I don't Do want to... Uh, I think you're always saying it right. <laughs> did, well, Six Mill, did you... You were doing day hikes, and you became interested in the Appalachian Trail. <laughs> uh, did you have, like, backpacking or camping experience? Very little, like overnight backpacking experience when i was in high school i did an overnight with a buddy but it was more about drinking beer and trying to like quote unquote trying to catch some trout uh, <laughs> uh there yeah so it was nothing like like what we embarked on uh but i i'd uh climb mount washington a number of times i skied tuckerman ravine a couple of times franconia ridge um so you know i wasn't you know i i wasn't scared of the whites but, uh, you know, day hiking and through hiking are two different things altogether. Did you have some fears going in? You know, I, 
I want to say I did because I don't want to sound like a, a jerk, but I really didn't. I was so excited to do this that I really didn't, there, there weren't any fears in my mind. I was just, I, I was like a, a thoroughbred, you know, just ready to get out of the gates. I do think you had one fear maybe where uh, we talked about this because we had similar a similar fear in the beginning where one great thing about my dad and I, you'll probably learn this through the podcast, is we're over communicators. So we wanted to talk about the trail a lot before we got out there. And you had asked me what my biggest fear was. And I said, my biggest fear was getting injured and having to announce that I couldn't finish. It wasn't not finishing. It wasn't anything else. And immediately you agreed with that. Oh, uh, uh, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, I wasn't fearful of being, being hiking, I, you know, of exerting myself or, be, yeah, but there, there's a, there's a lot of things. And man, the trail humbles you. I mean, <laughs> so you think, you know what you're doing and then you get to Springer Mountain and then three hours in, you, you already recognize that this is a new deal, but it's wonderful at the same time. And honeybee, you had no previous backpacking experience either. I had done, I'd gone to Isle Royale for one trip for, um, two nights, three days, and then decided to level up. <laughs> and that was it. What is what is that? Isle Royale. Uh, yeah. It's a national park. It's uh it's pretty cool. It's uh uh, you know, like, I think it's like 11 miles from, it's an island, 11 miles from Canada. You get there via ferry on the UP and they do a bunch of studies between, uh, wolf and moose populations over the last however many years. So pretty, pretty awesome. So six mil, you're like, I'm going to go hike the AT. Honeybee, you're like, I'm going to go for a little while, which turned into, I'm going to do the whole thing. Were you guys already close? Did you have a close relationship beforehand? Yeah. I mean, I think it's funny to, to say this in retrospect, but I had been, when I announced to the clients of my business that I was leaving and that I was going on this adventure with my dad, a lot of their response was, how are you going to deal with your dad for that long? And it wasn't that they knew my dad. It's that they knew their own dads and their relationships with their dads. And it was funny because I came home and I told my dad that. And neither of us had even given thought that like we'd get sick of each other, you know? Yeah, it, it was never a concern. But it was, uh, yeah, it was eye-opening to hearing that because I hadn't given it a thought. But uh, yeah, never a concern. Uh, we've been close since Claire was born. That's interesting. I think, I feel like that's rare. I definitely agree with that. I can't imagine doing that. And let alone, we shared a tent the entire way. You shared a tent with your dad. Yeah. Hiker farts and all. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you have some good stories. <laughs> I think he has worse of me, so we might not go there. <laughs> that's hard to imagine. Like... I guess in terms of uh, privacy, or were there any, like, did it get weird? No, you know, we both are very good about, like, respecting each other's privacy. So when I had to change, my dad would leave the tent. Uh, when he changed, I would leave the tent. When I had to go to the bathroom and I was, like, uncomfortable in the middle of the night in the beginning, like, he would walk out and then, like, keep an eye for other people for me. Like, I don't know, just normal dad protecting daughter things 
I don't think we ever had any like, yeah, issues with privacy at all. More than anything, we really became a good team. So without previous backpacking experience, how did you figure out what gear you needed? A lot of that was uh, YouTube and the internet and a lot of research. And for me, it was um, trying to keep my base weight down but wanting to be comfortable at the same time. It's that balance that everybody goes through. But I did a lot of research and then trial and error when it came to footwear and socks and stuff like that. But my pack, I just kind of said, okay, this is what I'm going with. And I, and I went with it, but online research. And I'm not going to lie. I, like I said, the only preparation that I had done was reading that book on the flight to Atlanta. When it came to gear specifically, I was fortunate enough to have my dad do all the trialing over years. And basically when it came down to it, I said, hey, do you have a spreadsheet by chance? And he said, yep, I'll email it to you. And that day I went to REI and I bought everything on his list. I didn't even <laughs> trial anything. So I didn't realize till we were on trail, she literally bought like the same puffy coat, the same base layer. I didn't realize she was buying the same exact stuff until we were like past Springer, you know, like, yeah, it was funny. And then it was the same color too. So he was afraid we were going to get like twinnies as our trail names or something. Look like, like, like Teletubbies going down the trail. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> what did you struggle with in the beginning? Or did you struggle with anything? I think for me, I, I'm not going to lie, I struggled quite a bit um, emotionally. I, I grew a lot on the trail. One of the biggest hurdles that I have not heard a lot of people talk about, but when I've shared it individually in conversation with women, it resonates with them, but is cleanliness. OCD is something that I've I've dealt with for a majority of my life, and um, cleanliness Personal hygiene is something that I was very routine in prior to the trail. I was somebody that I knew it's not good for my skin or my hair, but I'm showering and I'm washing my hair once, if not twice daily. Getting used to my own filth and quite literally living in it was very uncomfortable in the beginning. That was a huge adjustment. Would you say you were a girly girl, I guess, like hair, makeup and all that on a daily basis before the trail? You know... It's funny because I think I'm a, a decent mix of a tomboy and a girly girl. I can very much get down and dirty. And like I said, I love my bugs and my plants and everything. Um, but if, you know, don't get me wrong, I do love to put on a pair of hot pink go-go boots and do a full face of makeup to go out. <laughs> I can do both. <laughs> I can do that too. I bet you can. <laughs> my early struggles were really... I was going to say physical, but more environmental. I didn't know it was going to be so dang cold at the beginning. I expected it at the end, but I didn't know that on Springer Mountain and on Rocky Top or Rocky yeah. Mountain, or uh, I mean, gosh, it was cold and the wind was biting. Uh, at the same time, you know, you kind of like it too, because I like being out there in the elements, but I was surprised by it. I, I didn't know I'd received that early on because I think, you know, as uh, you know, growing up in New Hampshire, I'm going to the South, I'm going to Georgia, you know, they don't have weather like that in Georgia. Well, guess what they do. What was your start date? Uh, we started the approach trail on March 26th, and then we actually started the trail itself on March 27th. 
And we added an extra five miles accidentally to our approach day. <laughs> we started at the lodge and then like tried to make our way down and then got off trails accidentally and then made our way back down and then all the way back up, basically. Was there a point? Everybody has this point, but so let me <laughs> rephrase that. At what point did you have the thought or the realization that this is what I do. This is my life. I'm comfortable. I'm, I know what I'm doing. It's just, this is, this is where I am in life. And and this is just what I do. I get up and hike, go to bed, get up and hike. So, um, for me, I've been looking forward to it for a long time. So I, I I didn't feel like a a grind or anything right away, or it wasn't any, you know, it, it didn't feel bad. But I remember uh, um, our day out of uh, Gatlinburg where we were hiking up to Charlie's Bunyan and we were hanging, uh, there was these day hikers and uh, all of a sudden, um, you know, we're here, we're carrying these 30 pound packs and we're just flying past people that are asking us, hey, you know, how far is it and how, you know, what's going on? And they're huffing and puffing. And it just, I'm not trying to act like a bad dude or anything. We just got our hiker legs by then. And I came to the realization that I'm really okay at doing this. I'm pretty good at doing this. And, and this is not going to be a problem. And it, it was kind of fun knowing that. And, and I don't mean to sound like all that, uh, cause anybody can do it. But it, it, that was the first point where I thought, Gosh, I'm pretty good at this. Felt strong. Felt strong. Yeah, that's a better way of stating it. Thank you very much. Yeah, felt strong for the first time. I agree. (laughs) (laughs) No, that was the same moment for me. I was going to add to it, and then I started laughing. I'm sorry. (laughs) You can cut that if you want. (laughs) Or I lied. I'm not going to edit this at all. Uh, like how many, what kind of mileage were you doing at that point in the Smokies? We could look it up. Yeah. Just give me a ballpark. The Smokies were a little more humbling. I think we did a couple 12 mile days in the Smokies. That was pretty average for us at that point. So nothing crazy. We're still, still moving though. You know, do you remember when you did like your first 20 mile day? I do. Um, because a couple times you have bad days. I have bad days. A couple times I have bad days is what I should say. And I'll get in a mood and I'll say, Dad, I know we were planning on going 10 miles today or 12 miles today, but we've gone eight and I'm done. I'm throwing my trekking poles down. I need a moment. We're stopping right here. We had a couple of those in a row. And I almost felt a little bit of guilt. Like, I got to keep moving. Like, why do I keep cutting myself short? So we had a full pack on us and we did a 20.6 mile day over priest. No, 26.2 mile day over over priest mountain in Virginia. Now it was hot. It was full pack. And if you look at that map and you ask anybody if they would do a 26 mile day on that day, most of them are like, that was the first day that you chose to do a 20. Are you insane? And maybe, but we felt just enough guilt to keep pushing. (laughs) (laughs) So as a team, did you share any gear? 
Yeah, so we had mentioned that we shared a tent. So my dad carried the tent, and I typically carried the food. We actually had two food bags, so I would carry the full resupply, and my dad would carry what we called the extra bag, which was basically just a plethora of snacks. <laughs> um, so he carried that and then the stove, um, the cook stove and, and things like that as well. So uh, we tried to, to balance out the weight that way. But basically, I would say the tent and the cook stove and food is what we split weight on. Did you like weigh packs beforehand to kind of even that weight out? Or was it just like, here, you carry that and I'll carry this? It was more like, here, you carry that and I carry this. And And part of that was we started the trail with my boyfriend did the first 10 days with us. So it was three of us in the beginning splitting gear. And then when he left, it was basically at an intersect, a road crossing where he got off and we went to Hiawassee and, um, yeah, we just kind of had to scramble at a picnic table and be like, who wants what? And we'll figure it out later. So we just kind of won it in that sense. Yep. Sent my tent, tent home with Skylar and, uh, we, we shared the tent that they had. Did you have a like a routine when you got to camp? Like you have your chores and he has his chores? Yeah, it took us a little bit to figure that out. Um, my dad had a bit of a bad shoulder at the beginning of the trail. So I was the one to throw the bear bag hang every single night, by the way. I want to flex. We never slept with our food. Um, <laughs> I love I became bear ba- bear bagging champ. I loved that chore so much. I did it every single night. Typically, you would filter water. I could tell you about a couple failures. <laughs> sure, humble me. Um, but yes, oh, those are some good stories. So I did that. You typically filtered water, and then it was like a horse apiece who who cooked or whatever. Um, you blew up my air mattress because I hated. Wait, stop. You said a horse apiece? Yeah. What is that? I've never heard that. Oh. It's like uh, half a dozen. It doesn't splitsies. Yeah, it's it's like this or that. This or that. It's the same thing. If it's a horse apiece, it's fifty fifty. Yeah. Is that a Midwestern saying? I guess I I didn't know it was. I know it New England. You learn something new every day, Ronnie. Damn you. I've lost my track. <laughs> Sorry, bro. All right, tell me a story. <laughs> okay, you said you wanted to hear uh, the highs and the lows. Um, I've got a day that I think represents both really well. Um, the first day that I really struggled on trail was um, we had not packed enough food in the Smokies, and we're definitely at a calorie deficit. Um, I, rem- I remember counting and thinking, like, if we split this food up, we're each going to be eating about 600 calories a day, (laughs) which is not enough when you're burning about 6,000 plus. Um, So we, we didn't plan for enough food in the first place. And then the weather got difficult in the Smokies. So we had to cut our days shorter that we, we anticipated hiking longer than we were able to because of the weather. Um, so one day it's pouring rain and we're in the shelter with our friends that say, Hey, we're going to set up, we're going to stay here. Like it is cold. We are not moving. We're taking a zero today. And we knew we had to keep moving. So we made our way up to Clingman dome, hoping there was a gift shop surprise. There was not a surprise. It wasn't very exciting. I won't lie. Um, they did have tiny bags of 
what were called grabbies, but essentially Chex Mix, uh, probably like $10 a little bag. And we, uh, we said, how many of those do you have? And they said six. And we said, we'll take them all. They said, we also have eight chocolate bars. I said, great. We want all those too. That's the only food that they had. And we survived off of that for a few days, uh, or a few days, I say basically that night. And then we hiked 11 miles to a shelter where it poured rain all night and all of our belongings froze solid. I have a video of banging my socks frozen solid on the ground. Well, the Smokies are no joke. No. Um, I hate to say this in retrospect because the Smokies are so beautiful and deserve more respect than this. But when I was really down, I remember being like, the Smokies, the Smokies are the suckies. Like this is. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I that morning that we hiked out and everything was frozen, I was I was crying. I was miserable. To sum things up, we essentially were leaving and going to uh, Newfound Gap, and we had to get into Gatlinburg for food. Wait, was this still raining though? We uh, we were hiking through basically frozen streams. Was it uh, April? Uh, I believe it was April at that. Yeah, it must have been because we started at the end of March. Fun fact: I got snowed on in the Smokies. May twenty first. Whoa! I believe it. I believe it. Yeah. And I'd already sent all my winter gear yeah. home i was wearing a cutoff t-shirt with the sleeves cut out of it <laughs> <laughs> and like some running shorts <laughs> back to the story um so uh essentially we hear this rumor that we're gonna have to basically not fight but kind of like there's a there's a horde of us trying to get into gatlinburg because the weather's bad and there's no service at this gap we heard and it's it's virtually impossible to get a hitch so we're kind of flustered like we really need food and we get to this road crossing after kind of trying to race with everybody a little bit just because we wanted to make sure that the tramily that was behind us who were so kind and the tramily in front of us that were so kind both were a lot of people, but we wanted to get our thumbs out right away. So we get to the road and I remember looking for the sign and the arrow that said Gatlinburg, which way? So we knew where to put, put our thumbs out. And our friends, Pam and Kevin saying, honeybee, six mil, come over. And we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah hold on, hold on. And, and they're like, come over, come over. And I remember my, my direction focusing on them and seeing this, like, a ton of hikers so happy, it was so poetic. It was almost like the clouds opened up. The sun literally came out that day. At and that at that moment, we, we walk up to all these hikers, and I see that there is three tables of trail magic from a very gracious church, and they are also bringing two shuttles that can hold 15 or however many people. And they said, we'll cram all of you in and we'll take you to Gatlinburg for free. And I immediately went from, why the hell am I out here? I'm going to quit when I get to Gatlinburg to this. <laughs> yeah, this is why I'm out here. Nice. Sorry. I'm so soft. <laughs> I will cry. Was that, uh, or had you experienced trail magic before that? A couple times in Georgia, I had a gentleman ask if he could be my trail grandpa. <laughs> Shout out to my trail grandpa, wherever he is. He gave me two lollipops instead of one. Everybody else got one. I know. I think the thing about trail magic is the people that are doing trail magic don't fully realize how meaningful it is to the hikers. Because when even when I do it, people are just like so... 
like, oh my God, you know, this is like the greatest thing ever or instant friends for life. And I'm like, dude, it was just candy and a beer, mm-hmm. you know. It's the camaraderie. And you said this in a previous podcast. It's, it gives the, the hikers the opportunity to stop and enjoy their time and each other. And um, it just creates such a greater sense of community. And that itself boosts morale when you are at your lowest. I had multiple moments like that on the trail where I was pretty low. And it just takes a day hiker being like, you're going all the way to Maine. Good luck. Keep going. And I'm, you know, spirits lifted instantly. Yeah, I think. Yeah, that's right. I Now that you say that, like. I was at Deep Gap when I met CK and some other people during some, like, nasty rain, man, all-day rain. We hugged with CK. You did? Yeah. And just them hanging out for a minute under my tarp, eating an apple or a a candy bar or whatever. And this year will be the third year to do uh, Trail Magic on Easter Sunday at Wyabald. A friend of mine does it and started it, and, and she, like recruited me that now it's my thing too it becomes a vortex like we had both years that we've done it we had probably 30 people just spend the whole afternoon just hanging out eating hamburgers and hot dogs and drinking beer and and taking a a huge break and then seeing them you know later up the trail you know it's like oh i remember you i met you while you bald there you know easter sunday whatever so uh it is it's cool for it's cool for the hikers, but it also gives a sense of purpose or doing good for the trail angels too, I think. Yeah, we've been on both sides of it. We've done some trail magic since. Uh, you know, you just learn uh, out there how special it is. And I, I just felt a draw to give back. Um, but I tell you what, on trail, sometimes it happens when you least expect it. And sometimes in the most odd spots, and you can be so down because it's a long grind. I mean, you guys have done it. You know, it's a long grind. And then sometimes there's not even somebody there. You come across a cooler, of Budweiser. What? In the middle of the woods, you come across a cooler, of Budweiser. We happen to camp pretty close to that cooler. <laughs> we also happen to not pack enough food that night and justify drinking a few beers as calorie intake. <laughs> Nice. Carbs. <laughs> that was the only two times we, we did learn our lesson about the food, though, I will say. <laughs> Let's talk about when we met. I, Honeybee, I had been following you on Instagram for a while, and it was we didn't know each other, but it was just the suggested you know people that you might want to follow. Mm-hmm. And so I followed you, and I didn't, I wasn't reading your posts. I, I really didn't connect that you were hiking with your dad. I just saw you and I saw some of your videos. And honestly, I thought, mistakenly, I thought you were a model that was doing the trail as some sort of publicity thing. (laughs) And I I was like, man, it'd be cool to meet her to find out like what, you know, what this is all about. Womp womp. And then we, (laughs) and then uh, in the hundred mile wilderness, when I was doing the trail magic, you guys walk out of the woods and we look at each other and go, wait, do I know you? Yeah. I think I know you. <laughs> it was pretty cool. I, I remember looking at your truck and being like, yep, 
I know this guy. I think we actually, you mentioned CK. I had posted on my story with CK a few weeks prior and you were like, I know that guy or something. And we exchanged one message. I think that's how I recognized your profile picture as your logo. And then I saw it on your truck and I, yeah, but Hey, I, that was a really kind thing to say about me. That was not at all what was going on. And I'm sure once you got a whiff of me, you realized I was not. It was nice to model see on you, the trail. Uh, sweaty and muddy and tired and uh, <laughs> as a real person. But it was so cool. And we can talk more about that day. But w- y- the photo that's in the book of just your legs. And so I, I noticed the mud on your legs and feet. So, so I want to take a picture of that. And your moth tattoo was there, and it just looked so cool. But I noticed in looking at your legs and your dad's legs that you you guys looked the same. It was, like, really cool that you were, like, you, like, kind of were twinsies. <laughs> <laughs> I did grow some uh, leg hair out there, so that might have been. leg hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was funny. Actually, um, I ordered an awesome print. Thank you, Ronnie, of that for my dad for Christmas. And uh, we had some people over for Christmas and somebody said, wait, so which is which? And my dad was like, uh, the tattoo kind of gives it away. But... <laughs> yeah, it looks great in our house, it's Ronnie. It's a, you're a great photographer. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a favorite favorite section or favorite spot? I think my dad and I are probably going to answer this a bit similarly. Um, We didn't really have anybody to visit us or anything on the trail. Um, Anybody that we even knew until we got to Massachusetts. I mean, we met trail friends along the way, but not people that lived in those states that were like supporting us. So once we got to Massachusetts, we saw my dad's sister. We got to Vermont. My sister was living there and hiked with us for a little bit and stayed with us. And then uh, Vermont, we saw his cousins. I think for me, just that stretch probably basically from Massachusetts on just because of the like camaraderie and also how much fun we were having, we slowed down in that section exponentially compared to the pace that we were previously moving at. And well, but why did you slow down? Because we were having so much fun and it really clicked that the journey was going to end, I think. I, I remember the moment for me that it really hit. Like in Vermont somewhere? That's For me, it was, um, I was at Joe Dodge Lodge and uh which is in the white mountains and i remember my dad and i were almost we had a really rough day the day prior we um honestly were kind of like almost pre-hypothermic um and we just had been getting rained on for days and we knew we needed to dry our tent and our clothes and take a hot shower so we stayed at the lodge and i remember just like feeling so wonderful with the bare bare necessities And brushing my teeth in the clothes that were just like stinky and previously wet and we had no laundry or anything. And I'm brushing my teeth next to, you know, uh, it's a communal bathroom, a mother and two daughters. And they're in their pajamas and their slippers with their pink fuzzy, with their braided hair and their sonic, you know, Philip sonic toothbrushes. 
And I remember it clicked for me that like, that's going to be me really soon. And it just made my skin crawl. Was that like a sadness? It was a sadness. Um, and I, I really liked in a previous episode where Sidetrack used the word grief. I think I started to kind of feel that like almost this is the end of this journey. And that's grief is the best word that I could use to start explaining what I felt at, at that time. And then it, um, you know, it's, it's weird because it coincides with how badass and exciting and awesome this is, but you're just not ready for it to end. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that's hard for people who haven't done something like that to understand the the complexity of those emotions. Like, I should be feeling like, you know, a champion, but I'm, and a lot of this is hard. Much of it sucks, and I don't want it to be over. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I was okay with the suck. It, it, it's weird how you stated that, and I've never heard anybody state it that way, but I wasn't ready for the suck to be over. And, uh, it, yeah, it's so weird. It's so complex. It, it, nobody would understand it unless they've been through it or something close. It, it seems like there's this transformation because I would imagine, I don't know you guys before that, but like we'll just say people in general that before that would not be people who would embrace the suck necessarily. But somewhere along the line, they revel in the difficulties they're in. And hopefully, my hope, and that's part of doing this podcast and that book, is to learn and find out how that translates, you know, to life after the trail. Kind of a weird couple of cats in that we prepared for the suck. We talked about it before leaving. And some of those times we really kind of enjoyed. And I, I'm going to go off on a quick story here. But uh, it was, you know, after hiking Franconia Ridge, we had wonderful weather in the whites. But after that day, we had to hike over before Mount Washington, Mount Webster. And, and, and it was not only cold, but the wind was blowing like crazy. We're talking 80 mile an hour gusts where you were leaning into the mountain. And there was a guy... You know, not everybody's into that. And Claire hikes ahead of me traditionally. And, uh, but there was somebody in between us. And I saw this guy who was having a hard day. And you could tell he's a through hiker, but he and his buddy were there. And he was just flipping out on this little alpine tree, just, just whapping his, his trekking poles at it. He was having a meltdown. And I had never given thought to my daughter that was maybe 20 minutes ahead of me might be having a meltdown because these conditions were not like pristine. But I was having a blast. So his buddy embarrassed him by telling him I was behind him, and I passed him. And I caught up to Claire on top of Webster, I don't know, 20 minutes later maybe. And, and I came up to her, and I was concerned. I said, you know, are you okay? And she said, this is freaking, you know, the wind's blowing. I can barely hear her. And she says, this is freaking awesome. And I just, I, I just got all emotional. Just, it was awesome. And we were having a blast. Um, in these weird conditions, but that's part of it. You know, I mean, if it was easy, it wouldn't be nearly as, as, as rewarding at the end. No, that's a great story. I wish, I wish I had more to add to that. Other than that, that was one of my favorite days. I remember like gusts of wind coming just slightly between my back and my backpack and like feeling my body move as I'm climbing. Like, you know, I feel like I could get blown off this mountain and feeling so 
strong and capable at that point and just like my soul was ignited and like let's freaking go <laughs> man that's awesome I, I i just got chill bumps when you described that wow let's talk about summit day what was that like for you um so we had stayed at the birches the night prior we had a lot of fun you know hanging out with our buddies and my dad and the, and the birches is a is to clarify for people that don't know birches is one of the campgrounds inside baxter state park correct it's probably the most desirable but they have a capacity of i believe 14 if i remember correctly so it's essentially first come first serve it's the closest starting point for through hikers to hike up katahdin so the, the park is really regulated, and if you are not one of the first 14, essentially your day up Katahdin is just longer because you have to start further back, if or, that makes or, sense. Or wait till the next day to get in. Correct. Did you guys carry your full pack up? Up Katahdin? No. Um, the rangers at the Birches said that we could leave basically the contents of our pack, so we just brought the necessities up there with our pack. Um, you know, water filter, Trekking poles, extra puffy, extra hat, things like that. Or so puffy you, hat, you not leave, extra puffy you, hat. You leave them at the ranger station? Yeah, so uh, the ranger station, there's like a little hut that they give you plastic bags and you write your name on it. You just throw all your shit in there. Nice. Pardon me, stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so you're in the birches. What time do you have to get up in the morning to summit at a whatever time you want to summit. So it's like before daylight you're up? I guess it depends on if you want to get there for sunrise, but I don't think we slept. Like, I don't think we woke up at, at super early. I think we probably woke up like seven or eight. Yeah, we essentially uh, hiked out just after dawn. Yeah, that was our plan. We had, uh, at that point, we didn't have a tramley, but uh, right before we met you, we... Ended up hiking uh, and finishing off with some great friends that we had known throughout the trail. And it just kind of uh, worked out that way where we all had decided, hey, let's go up together. Let's do it at, uh, let's do it. We'll wake up at dawn and start hiking. Well, just describe like what's going through your head. Gosh, um, first of all, the stretch when you think you're at the summit, there are so many false summits on Katahdin. Mm. So you are excited the whole way. But at the same time, for me at least, it didn't necessarily feel real. Like I, I remember touching the sign and not it not clicking that I was done. I remember still thinking, where am I going to set my tent up here? Or, or, you know, which isn't a thing, by the way, for those of you that haven't hiked Katahdin, you don't tent at the top. It's not allowed. Yeah, I, I it just didn't click yet. It, it felt so surreal because for six months you're working towards this thing that you haven't even seen and it just feels so out of reach and then all of a sudden you're there so took a while to process i think was it emotional for either of you uh well i told myself uh so claire summited i don't know maybe 100 yards before me and then moved off. We had some friends up there, uh, uh, Lightfoot and Swiss, that were taking photos and videos. We didn't know this, but it was wonderful. But I thought, you know what? I'm not going to get emotional up here. I'm going to just slap this sign and go talk to my daughter. And she turned around. Man, I broke up. I, 
Cried like a freaking baby. <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. It was just such a wonderful feeling. That's great. wonderful feeling. That's awesome. I've cried, but it doesn't. It it feels like I should have more tears. You know, it feels like uh, like I just did this crazy thing. Like I should be wailing like a baby, and I just remember like tears in my eyes, but not knowing like what to do with myself. You know. In the accomplishments of your life for both this for both of you where does this rank is this like the greatest thing you've ever done um i'm 25 years old i haven't done too much yet but i think i've done quite a bit in my 25 years this definitely ranks as i personal number one feat that i've accomplished yeah yeah i mean i got beautiful wife two beautiful girls that that was an uh, important thing, but but that wasn't hard. You know, meeting my wife, when I met her, that was not hard. That was an instant decision. Uh, this was six months of, uh, of ups and downs, and uh, no doubt it was the, probably, uh, no doubt it was the biggest thing I've ever done. And uh, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. I want to make a comment on that, too, because post-trail, I both of us thought we we love our lives we weren't coming out here searching for anything and i really i remember us thinking we were hot shots that would never feel post trail depression because we were like we're so excited to see our family and our friends and and our life back home isn't isn't too shabby so there's not much to be depressed about and it hits you differently how did it affect you uh after the trail in terms of emotionally adjusting back to normal life it felt really weird i the best analogies that i could make is like round round hole square peg i had left this mold for myself that everybody knew me as my clients knew me as i left a whole life behind and i it's almost like um shout out to lemon drop on this one she shared this with me and i i love it so i stole it but it's almost like my my being expanded out there. Like I, I grew, I knew, I know so much more about myself and I've changed so much through this journey that I came home a different version of myself and the expectations of people around me were things that they were expecting of Claire prior to the trail. And it was really hard for me to, do I go back in a sense. And then if I do that, am I backtracking? Am I compromising on my boundaries? I really had a hard time figuring out who I was and and my sense of identity. And alongside that, every day you're out there, you have the agency and the control to make the decisions as to what you want to do on that day. Like I said, if I was having a bad day and I, I planned to hike 15 miles, but I only made it nine, that's fine. Unfortunately, the real world doesn't always operate like that. And so you're now giving up and compromising on the things that you want to do to get back to what is quote unquote normal life. And that's really uncomfortable. Six mil, how was the adjustment for you? I I didn't expect, uh, Honeybee and I talked about this. We talked about it when we're hiking through the 100 miles, like post-trail depression. I understand why it happens, but it's not going to happen to us because we love our life at home. We're very fortunate. Uh, But I'll tell you what, it hit me like a ton of bricks. 
an awesome wife who was there to help me through it. And basically what she did is protect me from people. Like people want to come over and I just didn't want to talk to anybody that didn't, I would talk to honeybee all day, but I just wasn't ready to go back to the, the monotony or the, or, or the speed of, of things that didn't matter to me anymore. They might matter to other people, but I wasn't worried. You know, I, hiking the Appalachian Trail is kind of a selfish thing in that you're worried about yourself the whole time in, in that now I had to worry about other people again. And, it, and I don't mean that to sound selfish, but it was different to me and I had to readjust. It was funky. It was well, real funky. What do you mean by, th- or what didn't matter to you anymore? Um, answering text messages, timely. Uh, just all of that, you know, and, and, and I mean that literally and figuratively, like the clock doesn't matter. Um, and it's not that I'm lazy or didn't call people back or anything like that, but uh, I call people back on the important stuff, not the drama, you know, cause I don't, the drama doesn't, you know, who cares? Who cares? I, uh, so I didn't, it's not that I didn't have time for that. It's that I didn't have time for that. I didn't really care. That's yeah, interesting. That's, I heard a psychologist or therapist or, I can't remember where I heard it, but basically what they said was about society and things like that. Like when the phone rings, that's information. We're conditioned that we have to pick it up. And what he was saying was like, hey, that's just information. You choose. What are you going to do? What are you going to do with that? That's really well said. When you said if this is the coolest thing I'd ever, ever done, and I said it was, I remember coming home and one of... A, a close person in my life, a relative, was um, more knowledgeable about the trail than most people when you come home, especially from Wisconsin. I say I threw hiked. People don't know what that is. I say the AT or the Appalachian Trail. People don't even know what that is sometimes. He was pretty knowledgeable about it. And I remember him saying, you know, this might be the coolest thing you've ever done in your life. It's definitely going in your obituary. And I know he meant it as a compliment, but at a, as a 25-year-old, that was really uncomfortable, and it really twisted my world upside down and made me think, like, well, damn, what else am I going to do? Like, I have so many more years, you know? If that's the coolest thing I ever do, what else is there? And that was really uncomfortable to sit with, and I think I let it affect me for a little too long on my brain. Until I just was like, you know what? That is the coolest thing I've done thus far. So does that make you want to do like even more cool things? Yeah, absolutely. I am. I'm not done. I don't know entirely what that entails, but I've learned that I really like to challenge myself. And I also kind of get bored easily. I like a new project and uh, I'm, uh, I'm excited to just keep allowing things to come to me, which isn't something I'd done prior to the trail. I'm, I'm kind of an anxious person and I like to control things in my mind. I like to create worst case scenarios. And I used to think that, well, if I think of everything that could possibly go wrong and I have an answer to how I could approach them, it'll cause me less stress. Really what I was doing was creating myself more stress by creating all these fake stressful scenarios. And on the trail, it really taught me that like I one had to slow down, like you had mentioned and things just come to you. You, you like, you don't know what the next problem is going to be. The next challenge is going to be until it, till it's there. And then you have to address it. And I think I've really found a better balance in my life of doing that 
And um, that translates also into this desire to continually challenge myself and say, you know, like, I'm going to look at an adverse situation or I'm going to look at the unknown and whatever's next. And I'm just going to take the bull by the horns, I guess, wherever life leads me. But is it also true that this is a this is a major shift in terms of you started your own business, you successful at that you're on a career path if you want it to be one you chunk it all away to go hike the at somewhere along the way you just like it's like you're a completely different person but are you did it just reveal you did it allow you to did it derail the life you were on so that you can have the life you want I think it's kind of the conundrum of both, but I really like how you say, did it just kind of allow me the opportunity to reveal who I really am? In a sense, that's kind of what you said. Um, and I think it definitely did that. I personally had not been in a place where I'd slowed down enough to even ask in the span of three years of operating my business, like, what does Claire want? What does Claire need? What, do, you know? what do I want to do with my life? What do, what do I feel like pursuing? Um, I was too busy focusing on, on growing my business and the world around me, um, that I really lost my sense of self and having the time and the space to figure that out. I didn't go into this with that intention, but it's, it's been revealed to me and it's continuing to be revealed to me. Even, you know, we, we summited October 1st, 2022. It's January something 2024. And I'm still learning every day about how different I am, but a more real me, I think, a more authentic version of myself, closer with myself than I ever have been. I think that's interesting that there's nothing wrong about your life before, but you are, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it's Go all for it. It's almost like. <clears throat> You didn't know that you were unsettled until everything got turned upside down. And now it appears, from what I know, that your life moving forward is going to be completely different than the life that the path that you were on. Is that fair? Absolutely. And there's this TikTok that I've seen recently, and I, when I hate to bring TikTok into this, but there's a... Um, I'm paraphrasing, but it essentially said, like, I didn't realize how much my environment was negatively affecting me until I left. And that really resonated with me. I really didn't have the time. I never gave myself the time or the grace to focus on the discomforts that I have. And that's a that's also a personal thing I've been dealing with is not suppressing negative emotion and allowing myself to feel things and be a human. One of the reasons I want to do this podcast is... When we are in the adventure or the hero's journey or whatever you want to call it, we don't know what we're learning until some future date when we can apply it to something new or different. I think I, I prioritize myself and I reflect more on my own desires. Um, there's always going to be a compromise in life. It's not always about me. It's not my world. But I do have to take care of number one first. And that's something that I had been neglecting for a long time. And it's given me a new sense of confidence, um, a new sense of purpose, if you will, even if that purpose is 
to figure out my purpose. You know, I don't know. That kind of doesn't make a whole ton of sense when I spew it out, but that's how I feel, I guess. Do you guys have more epic adventures planned now that you've had this taste of the AT? Well, yeah. You tell him, Claire. You tell him. <laughs> yes. Um, so uh, another thing that we thought we were, we talked a lot about on the trail was how we were one and done. We were never through hiking again. We were so exhausted. We got our fix. We're done. Hiking down, push-ups kept chant- chanting, PCT, PCT. And uh, we, we were just, we're, yeah, we were yelling back vulgarities. Like, <laughs> this isn't going to happen, buddy. <laughs> We were so tired, you know, and uh, I sat at home long enough and um, I'm going to quote my friend Aquaman here. But he said when I asked him, why, why would you ever through hike the AT again? He said, uh, I felt like I had unfinished business and I kept sitting there in my post trail depression for a while. And I just was like, you know what? I think I have unfinished business, too. So. I, instead of through hiking the AT again, I have decided to uh, through hike the PCT starting in two months. That's crazy. Like you went from dog walking mogul (laughs) (laughs) to pet sitting empire, pet sitting empire (laughs) to hiking the AT. Now you're going to hike another long trail. Correct. Like this is a, I feel like this is a big deal. (laughs) <laughs> like, this is a big shift. I'm kind of jealous. I love it. I just love to see people, like, latch on to something. And I feel it's not about the trail. No. I, I, I think it's more of the personal journey, and the trail is the great environment to allow me to continue on that exploration. You know? I, I, I've never found that thus far, and it worked on the AT, so why not keep the magic going if, if we can? And I don't know what the future holds. I don't know if this means after the PCT, I say, screw it, let's triple crown, let's CDT. I don't know if I say, I really love this place on the trail. I want to buy a house here. I am putting all of my belongings in a storage unit, getting rid of my apartment, and I am open to whatever life throws my way next. Wow. Pretty crazy. That's it's exciting. Amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> what about you, Six Mill? Are you you going to go with her? I'm going to join her for a bit. Uh, I uh, so wish I could go the whole time, but I'll be out there until... Uh, I'll be out there for a month or two. So I'm going to start with with uh, Honey Bee. Uh, but I'll tell you what, the real world is tough. It calls you back because uh, you have commitments. Um, that being said, my heart's on trail. It always is. I'll tell you what, it's good for it's good for us physically and mentally. Uh, um, it's and spiritually, it, it just does so much uh, for the being that I, I, I didn't know it until I did it. So yeah, I'll, I'll always be hiking. Always. You know, another reason I did this project, or the reason I started the the book in the beginning was living in Clayton, Georgia, which was a trail town. Uh, and recently became an official trail community and, and whatnot. And so we would sit around and just talk about the AT, and then and it was like just out of the woodwork, people would say, oh, I hiked the AT, I hiked the AT, or I hiked part of the AT, I did this AT. And it seems like these memories, or I'll, I'll speak for myself, for me even, 30 years later, these are vivid memories 
vivid memories, more than daydreams. And I started to see that in other people, too. These are very important, transformative memories that people are proud of that are just so meaningful. So that's why I wanted to explore that. And so in doing the project and seeing that in real life, like all these people that had no experience, you know, didn't know what gear to buy, just went out and did it and then changed their life because of that experience. Think about how blessed we are because most folks go home and they don't have somebody to share that with. There are many who do, but most folks don't. And although Claire and I don't live together, we're about an hour and a half apart. And I'll tell you what, I was in that funk after trail as soon as she walked through my front door. Yeah, it was crazy. Because uh, uh, we, now we have this, this crazy bond, this crazy thing that nobody can take away. Uh, like I see her and it's instantly, I'm, it's like AT energy. It, it's weird. I don't know if it'll always be there, but I always feel it. I feel it when I see you too, though, Ronnie. Yeah. Uh, you know, anybody, you know, we all have this kindred thing, and I think that's what you're alluding to. And uh, I know this is a controversial in the outdoor community, but I think uh, the Chris McCandles or his Alexander Supertramp, you know, Into the Wild, his last quote um, was something along the lines of, happiness only exists when shared. And I think that for that reason coming back from trail can be extremely isolating. But I think, again, we were very fortunate to, at minimum, have each other. If not an entire community around us, we could always share that sense of grief, but also excitement about this crazy thing that we just accomplished. So let's think about this. What advice would you give to an aspiring through hiker that, or just somebody who wants a grand adventure but really doesn't have the experience and doesn't know how to get to that step, both practically, like gear wise or whatever, hiking advice, and also just emotionally, I guess. Uh, one common thing that I, I am asked is, how do you find the time? You know, how do how do I get away from my life? And I think my biggest piece. With that is specifically, you don't find the time, you make the time. You, ha you have to prioritize that. If you want to do that, you have to go out there and do it. Also, with through hike, I mean, y you heard in this episode, I knew nothing about nothing when it came to, I didn't even, I didn't know the mountain we were summiting when we got to Springer. I mean, we got to Springer. I didn't know where the trail ended. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> um, I was just out there hanging out with my dad until I got in a groove. You will figure it out as you go. Don't go in blindly. Do your research. Don't be a Alexander super tramp to that degree, but, uh, you know, be safe, prepare yourself. Um, it, you just have to take that quantum leap. Once you're on trail, you'll figure out the rest, quite quite truly. You know, my advice would be figure out your footwear so you're not getting blisters, uh, you know, as you're approaching hawk shelter, that type of thing. You don't want to... Uh, but beyond that, man, your, your legs, your body will figure it out. And there's enough people out there that'll help you figure it out if you don't know, you know, if you've completely forgotten some, you know, one aspect of it. Just get out there. It's wonderful. And I agree. You can oftentimes be clouded by other people's opinions and, and everybody's different in their through hike and their gear and everything. 
I think Nimble Will saying don't take anybody's advice is sometimes the only advice you need. Another quote that I really love that our buddy Lego, who we through hiked with, said, and we said almost every single day, he said it the third day we were on trail. And I was nervous about whatever mountain we were hiking up because everybody was like, this one's hard. But I don't know if it was Sassafras or Blood Mountain or whatever, whatever it was. And he said, you know what? Don't believe the hype. Good or bad. You'll make that opinion when you get there. And I remember that the entire trail. I heard people complaining about mountains and flying up them and being like, this is what you were complaining about. I remember people being like, that was the best day ever. And me being like, what the hell are you talking about? I hated all of that. Don't believe the hype. You'll make your opinion when you get, when you cross that bridge. Best advice we received on trail. Absolutely. Kind of like hike your own hike. Yeah. You had uh, mentioned that we hiked separate. And um, we had, sorry, my dad had mentioned previously that we had hiked separately in the trail. We stayed at the same place every night and we started and we met numerous times throughout the day. I was a faster hiker and I generally liked, I like the physical challenge of it. So when it comes to going up a mountain, I am hauling. Now my dad really likes to take it all in and slow down. I gained a little bit of that as we like continued on the trail but I think it really worked well for us. And in the beginning, we had somebody ask, you guys are through hiking together, but you don't hike side by side. Like, do you not like each other? What's going on? And we saw so many duos either like split up and hike separately that started the trail together. Actual relationships, breakups happen and they continue to hike on separately. We've seen people fight enough where one gets off trail my a huge piece of advice that I have if you're hiking with somebody else is allow each other the time and the grace to have your own experience. And we agreed on that in the beginning is if we hike foot behind foot every single day, and we did that some days, but if we do it every single day, probably going to get sick of each other. You know, realistically, if we give each other the grace to have our own experiences, we're hiking together, but we're also hiking our own hike. And I think that's really important is time alone as well, even if you're with a partner. I agree. That's good advice. But how can we, sorry, did you want to comment on that? How can we continue to support this project? Buy books. Done. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the, the, the hope for the podcast is to get to a point where, we can have paid advertisers. Mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, my life's more than half over. I'm not trying to build some kind of empire or anything else. I kind of have adopted the philosophy that I read in a letter that Van Gogh wrote to his brother, where he said something to the effect that perhaps the best I can do is to create a body of work so that when people find it after I'm gone, they'll know that I was a good man. So my focus is to produce good work. Whatever happens with that is none of my business. So I just need to, you know, I just need like this much, you know, to to continue doing that. To and keep her going. Yeah. yeah. And that's that's my goal. I really appreciate what you said previously about how cool it is that I'm on this spirit, spiritual journey or um, you said you use the word jealous, but I, th- I want to remind you that you 
are one of many people in my life that gave me the confidence to take my leap of faith to sell my business and pursue my passions because you were doing it. <laughs> now I'm gonna cry. Uh, yeah, this whole community is just special. Yeah, life affirming, and it's true for me. And I've heard multiple other people say it that in the process of hiking the AT, it restored their faith in humanity. It's a reminder that. There's not only good people still out there, there's great people still out there. And they're everywhere. They are everywhere. And all it takes is one little act of kindness. Just not much. It's not much to give somebody a Coke on the trail or whatever. Uh, and, to, and to see and meet people outside of the labels that they have in society. And I know you've experienced this. Like, And I, I remember sitting in a shelter with a, fighter pilot and a preacher and a lawyer and some guy that was running from the law and me. And we were like all the same. You're all equals that night. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I'd like to stick around in this community if I can, if it works out, but we'll see. I think it will work out. I believe in this project. I think a lot of people are going to, be inspired and and live vicariously through your experience. So thanks for being the example and the guinea pig. Absolutely. Thank you, Ronnie. Thanks for being on here. Yeah, we love you, Ronnie. Love you too. (laughs) Thanks for joining us today on the Hiker Trash Podcast. If you'd like to support this project, you can go buy a coffee table book, or a fine art print, you can do it at our website, localexposuremagazine.com. You can show some love to Scott Lowe. He provided the music for today's episode. You can find him on Instagram at Scott Lowe Songs and at Hatch Camp and Art Farm. Hey, if you enjoy this, tell someone send them a text, make a post, talk about it. And stay tuned for the next episode. Thank you.